You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupiton. This week on the show, a renegade guitar slinger who has spent 20 years prowling stages around the world with the Foo Fighters and has become a soulful singer-songwriter in his own right, Chris Shiflett. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you sat down and really listened to rock and roll at full blast? If you're like me, you went harder in your younger years, starting with punk rock, and then maybe surf rock, and then classic rock, and glam rock, and art rock, and then you went to math rock, and folk rock, and then you got softer and softer as you got older and older. It was acoustic-only folk singer-songwriters pretty soon coming out of your speakers, then sensitive orchestral harmonizers, and soon, in your mid-30s, all you listened to were the dulcet tones of NPR newscasters and meditation music to calm your aching mind. Thank God Chris Shiflett just slapped me back to my senses. Rock and roll is where I started. And you know what? It still gets me damn excited. And his newest solo record is called Hard Lessons, and it comes out June 14th. And man, I rocked around my living room to this so hard. Chris had just flown back from playing an arena show with the Foo Fighters, and he braved the airport traffic to stop by my blanket fort studio here in LA to talk about the vulnerability of striking out on his own, writing songs about his rebel Navy vet dad, and the whiplash jump of playing Madison Square Garden one night and a rowdy bar down the street the next, and how growing up with three brothers in Santa Barbara helped him navigate being a dad to three sons now. For those about to rock, we advise you listen to this man. He has been on the mountaintop, and he has had to start over more than once. But most of all, he can write rock and roll songs with the best of them and make you roll down the window and sing at the top of your lungs. So here he is, Chris Shiflett. introduce yourself to the radio audience. Hello there, my name is Chris Shiflett, and I'm a guitar player, mostly, and a, and a singer, songwriter, and whatever, musician, generally. <laughs> like, singer, songwriter has, I mean, like, a weird, I, like, yeah, dirty connotation now? I'm, I meant that, like, those two, like, not, like, as a genre, and more of just, like, things that I do. <laughs> but it's like, singer, songwriter should be, like, an honored, like, thing. Right, But right. it feels like... You're on a stool in a coffee shop in right, the 60s, right. if you say that. Yeah, 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 which I definitely am not. And your your newest record, uh, which is coming out June 14th. June 14th. Uh, Hard Lessons. Yep. Um, I've been listening to it the last few days. It's just super fun, man. I mean, oh, it's thank like, you. Thank you, know, you. And we were joking before that, like, it's almost like if maybe, like, Kiss was around now or something. You know? <laughs> if Kiss but, was an Americana band. <laughs> but, like, it's just one of those, like, in my mind, and this is not a dirty saying for me, it's like yeah. guilty pleasure yeah, rock. Yeah. It's like fucking anthems where you sing it along in your car and the songs are, like, three minutes long. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but also there's some really um, sort of personal, you know, involved stories where... Uh, you're talking about your family, you're talking sure, about stuff sure. that you've learned, yeah. um, and it's almost like you're sort of singing a lot of these songs for yourself when you were 21 or something, right. you yeah, know, or maybe sure. to your sons now. Yeah. You know? Is that Was that sort of a concept going in? Yeah, for sure, and, and you know, I mean, probably the big biggest, I mean, none of it's really super conceptual or anything, but I wanted to make a record that was fun to play live, mm. you know. Um, I've recorded a lot of stuff in the past that is fun to record and like you're happy with it and it's 
all well and good, but then you you go to play it live in a club and it just doesn't really, mm. it's just not fun. Yeah. You know? And I, I think for playing live, like I like kind of uptime, mm. you know, songs that move a little bit. Um, and, and Dave Cobb that produced it was, was a, like, was really like pushed the idea of like, you know, make it like a rock and roll record. You yeah. know, you play this Marshall, you know, we're going to turn it up, we're going to crank the gain up and do that. You, you know? did it at, you know, Nashville's RCA studio, yeah. you know, A, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, it's like, there's a lot of holy ground there, yeah. you know? And yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, when you were recording it, were you doing it mostly as a band playing live or were you doing it piece by piece? Yeah, I know. So you, like, that's kind of like Cobb's process and it was it was the same way that we did the, my last record, West Coast Town, where it's, when, in the, the first week, basically, is me and Cobb and he's playing acoustic guitar and playing electric guitar, and then we got the rhythm section, you know, drums and bass. And we're all in the room together, and we work out the song arrangements, and then we track live, no click. And that's the sort of the, the meat of the record. And then after that gets done, you know, I'll go back and I'll redo the vocals, and I'll add guitars, and we'll bring in, you know, the pedal steel dude and the keys and the harmony vocals and whatever, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So that's all done after the fact, but the sort of the meat of the record, all the rhythm stuff, that gets done right there, right then and there. So it's kind of like the base of it is live. The uh, the song Fool's Gold, mm. uh, which I was jamming to as you were pulling up, um, seems like you're obviously talking about growing up and your folks. And, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, was your dad in the Navy? He was, yeah. yeah. That that one's like like pretty just straight autobiographical. Yeah. So it's like, actually, can you give me that first verse and 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 chorus if you can? Remember? Yeah. What's the first verse? Uh, I guess my dad was a good man. Well, at least he tried. Never took shit from anybody. All he had was his pride. Or all he owned was his pride. Right. Joined the U.S. Navy to run away from home. Um, Joined the U.S. Navy and run away from home. Oh, I gave the world a middle finger and then he died alone. So I mean, that's, that's, there's a lot that's going my on dad. there, man. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of an endless well of of sort of like lyrical inspiration because you know my dad passed away when I was in my late 20s mm. so he died just a little before I hit that age where I settled down and got married and started having kids and and it wasn't until I did all that that I really it's like once you become a dad you start reflecting on your mm. parents you mm. know when you become a parent you start thinking a lot about or at least I did you know like my parents and just came up with like a million questions of like, well, why'd this happen? Why'd that happen? I mean, my dad wasn't there to answer them, unfortunately. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's just sort of this mystery to me that, you know, that, that, I'm, that I'll never solve because he's not here to explain any of the shit that happened, you know? Did he play music? No, but he loved music. And, you know, I have older brothers. I'm the youngest of three. And, and you can really credit my dad for sort of getting my oldest brother, Mike, hooked on music and then that just sort of spread like a virus in our family you know so you got there's three sons yeah that you grew up with and now you have three sons yeah I know it's you, you plan, plan it out perfect <laughs> I know yeah I mean yeah. it's a lot of testosterone in one house tell yeah tell my poor wife that <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's you know my, my wife is a twin and her sister has three daughters Woo. so when you put our two families together it's like the perfect the Brady Bunch set totally yeah <laughs> So 
tell me about you know growing up in Santa Barbara and and when you you started playing guitar around what age eleven or so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean that was you know I had a, a great childhood. My my memories of my childhood are, are pretty wonderful. You know Santa Barbara in the in the seventies, late seventies into the into the all through the eighties. It was just like a, a good time to be there. But the, you had to have something to rebel against to go into a rock and roll life. Well, yeah, it's funny because growing up there, like it was so beautiful. Like I it's it's I kick myself now for this, but like growing up, like I I hated surfing. I hated anything that had any whiff of like hippie yeah. anything to it because you know Santa Barbara was like summer solstice parade, yeah, Isla Vista, and all the sort of the remnants of all that that stuff was still were still there so much that it, you know we just me and my friends just fucking hated all that. We hated anything that was like remotely healthy or well, what was your what was good, your thing? You know, um, I just loved rock and roll music. I mean, you know, like classic rock and, and into heavy metal and the punk rock or what. You know. I just, I, I definitely did not want to be, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what we were rebelling against, but I thought that when I lived there, when I was a kid, I thought it was like this hokey little podunk town. I just wanted to get the fuck out of there and move to LA like as fast as I well, could. You were rebelling against having nothing to rebel against. Maybe, <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. Cause that's its yeah. own sort of thing. Yeah. Like having like a good childhood, honestly, like I well, definitely I mean, can I, say the same thing. It's like, Almost now you feel like, well, you found drama right. where none was there sometimes. Well, it's funny. Yeah. You know, my parents got divorced when I was really young. And um, and like when I was, I don't know, I was, they got separated when I was like two or three or something. Mm. So I, I really don't even remember them being together. So, um, And we, we were raised by my mom um, and uh, for most of my childhood. So, I mean, I guess if there's, you know, that was like, you could say, oh, you're rebelling against you know, not having a dad around or whatever, but like everybody's family was divorced. So I don't know mm. that how much water that carries. I can't yeah. sit there. That's not really a, 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 yeah. a realistic sob story about anything. You know no, what I mean? But like there's always uh, the darkness in right. sort of the nice quaint town. Well, you know? yeah. And, and that's certainly true. I mean, it's, it's funny, man, when you think about Santa Barbara at that time, it was, and I don't know why I, I don't think it's like this now when I talk to younger kids up there, but that was a, a, a pretty wild time, you know? Mm. Like that era was, there was just, I don't know if it was like that in every town around America, but like there's, it was pretty wild and kind of violent in its way. And, mm. and there were just drugs everywhere. And it was, it was a, it was, and, and not a lot of parental oversight and a lot of, a lot, you had a lot of time on your hands and there was lots of trouble to get into. And, and we all <laughs> kind of found a lot what of What was that, the most know? trouble you got into? I was never like any kind of like criminal type of kid or anything. I was just sort of lazy and uninspired and just wanted to go drink beer with my friends and yeah. chase girls and stuff, you know, and play music. You played, did you play in punk bands to start? Um, my first band was was called Lost Kittens and we were like trying to be a, like a glam rock band. Okay. But you can imagine, you know, in the mid to late 80s in Santa yeah. Barbara, there was not much of a glam rock scene, you know what yeah. I mean? So it's like if you wanted to, all the gigs were like, you know, there was like a lot of punk rock bands and a lot of like speed metal thrash metal yeah. type bands and then there we were trying to be fucking you know, LA guns or whatever yeah. you know what I mean we didn't exactly fit in but so you um you know you like I wound up playing in some punk rock bands and stuff as well but and that was sort of the first time I sort of turned on to that wait but you were also a really good soccer player no this is a, a this is a very new 
rumor that keeps not popping true. up now. It's not they, true? No, it's funny. I was actually not a very good soccer. I only played soccer till, uh, till um, about the time that I started playing guitar. And then I really didn't play sports of any kind at all. But there seems, and I'm, I should not be like you know shooting this down because this is a great Come on, rumor. internet. Get but it there's, right. but the internet seems to think that uh, that that I had to make a choice <laughs> between being a professional soccer player and being a musician, which I think is so funny. Who made that up? I don't know, but it's great. Is, <laughs> but you think I love someone's it. just messing with you? I don't. You know, feel yeah, great. Keep that. We should. We need to keep that one flowing. But if you look at like. Where uh, think about what that would mean? Like yeah. that would be like when I was like in my teenage years, I yeah. guess. Maybe late teens is when you would kind of have mm-hmm. to make that choice. So if my choice was to not be a professional soccer player, then it was to move to LA, play in bands you never heard of, and work menial jobs. Which yeah. like really, like, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that yeah, that would have like, been the choice. Yeah, but I think there's a certain uh, ignorance is bliss thing when you're first in bands. Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. Where you're like. Just getting a show of any kind yeah. was just like super exciting. Oh, fuck you know? yeah. And there was never like the thought that you would even ever make money doing this. Well, it, it's, it's funny, you know, when, when my high school band, I remember we, like, we played a lot around Santa Barbara, played keg parties, and we, um, and then we, you know, started getting gigs in like some, some bars and clubs around town and all that sort of thing. And then we, I remember we came down to LA, we made these promo packs, you yeah. know, and like manila envelopes, yeah. with a demo cassette and like a photo and yeah. a little, you know, the whole thing. And dropped them off with all these, at all these clubs and stuff. And one of the clubs called us, Madame Wong's, it was right out here in yeah. Santa Monica, um, Madame Wong's West. And we got a gig on the same bill as this band called Electric Angels that were like a pretty popular band at that time. Yeah. We were like, holy fuck, man, we're, we just fucking made it. Yeah. And this was such a great lesson in yeah. in music. Right. Because um, we came down and we didn't realize until we got there that there were two rooms at this club. Um, and we were on stage at the exact same time no. as Electric Angels, who were the popular band. So when we played, this is our big LA debut, like all our yeah. friends came down with us. We... Our girlfriends, everything, and there was literally nobody in the in the room, except for your except except yeah. for our girlfriends, yeah. right? Yeah, and I we have I have a picture of it with my one friend yeah. standing on the floor in just an empty room, and we're on stage playing. Why would they schedule them at the same time? I have no idea. It's just mean spirit. <laughs> it is, but you know what? That's the biz, baby. It's kind of amazing, like going through that type of you know growing pains that like we even continue to do this to right. this day. Yeah. But like, there's definitely. Something pushing us to keep doing this beyond just I want to hear my song on a on a stage. You yeah. Know? Like, what is the thing that you think makes you get on the road every year? I don't know. I mean, you know, nowadays I suppose it's something different. Um, well, now it's a job at times too. You know. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I think when when I was first starting out and didn't know anything, you know, you just it was just like. In search of the glory, yeah. you know, whatever that was going to be, you know. Um, now it's it's with the sort of wisdom that comes with doing it for a long time. You have like, I don't know. Sometimes it shoots you in the foot because when you have those shitty gigs, you're like, motherfucking promoter didn't fucking promote, and the, yeah. my fucking publicist didn't do their thing and the yeah. label didn't so you have like you know expectations people to blame exactly you know what I mean but when you're a kid and you're just starting out you're just like fuck we passed out flyers and 10 people came yeah. <laughs> you know yeah smaller expectations yeah. brings more happiness yeah. yeah I mean you know 
you got involved with the Foo Fighters, what, 99 or so? Yeah. Tell me a little bit how that went down. So at the time, I was living in San Francisco, and I was playing in a band called No Use for a Name, um, and we had just made a record, and we are getting ready to go on tour, and then a friend of mine helped me get like on the list of for the auditions for the Foo Fighters because they had their guitar player had left and they had made uh, that third record but they were getting ready to go on tour and wanted to find a guitar player so they had auditions down here in LA and uh, and I just got a fucking random call from the from Gus who's still our tour manager and um, she said hey this is Gus Brandt from from Foo Fighters and we're having auditions next week in LA. You know, do you want to do you want to come Where'd down? Where they do it? it? Just at this little studio uh, out at Mates, yeah, a studio out in the valley. And uh, and if, you know, of course, at first I was like, man, who the fuck is this? But but uh, I actually knew Gus from some other tour stuff. So uh, so yeah, I just came down and I and I tried out, and then I came down a week later and tried out again, and and then got the gig the next day. And that must have been a crazy been, feeling. It was fucking nuts. Yeah, I mean. You know, because you don't know how long something like that's going to last, right? right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you've been in other bands. Well, it's funny. The first thing I did was I called the singer in the band that I was in. Yeah. Tony. Um, And and I said, hey, man, I'm I'm joining the Foo Fighters. And his first response was, he goes, for how long? (laughs) And I go, I go, hopefully. Forever. Yeah, that's what I said. I go, hopefully forever. Yeah. And he go, and then he was like, oh, right. Yeah, okay. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, how how big of rooms were they were they playing at that time? It was it was varied. It really depended on where we were. Like in in the states, we would play like theaters or like big clubs. You know, yeah. it was not at that like arena level. Yeah. Um, and then um, and then we'd be like on festivals, and we'd be at like four o'clock. You yeah. know, we'd be like right in that sort of middle slot at a festival. So it was it was nowhere near like what it is now. Yeah, um, which I'm really happy because. Because I got to be there for that progression of like, okay, now we're gonna try to make the leap into the into the decrepit old hockey arena in town yeah. that's small, that's you know, yeah. where, where no sports teams play anymore. And yeah. we're gonna sell that half out and they're gonna yeah. have to push the stage up against the back of the thing. Yeah. Fucking paper all the seats, you know, yeah. and, and 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 then that went from that to like we did our first proper arena tour and now we're getting at the starting to get higher up on the bill at the festivals and next thing you know you're fucking headlining the festivals and like it's just grown and grown and grown you know yeah. and it's it's been um very gradual almost to the point where you like you don't even yeah you can't even see it happening but right. all of a sudden you're like what the fuck how'd this happen 20 years yeah 20 years in in what a couple of months i mean so many bands that even that i know you know sort of in the roots world you know there's sometimes about a it feels like an eight to nine year span where we're like, have we gone as far as we can go at this point? Yeah, and yeah. people start having families and they start yeah. questioning their life decisions. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, I definitely have done that recently where you're like, like, does anyone really care? You know? <laughs> right, right. And it's like, yeah, do is I, anybody going to notice if we break up? Yeah, here? like, do I really yeah, care? Yeah. And it's like, you do so much and that's yeah. why you don't. But... The thing that I think keeps me wanting to make music, even if it's, you know, because we'll play a festival with thousands of people and then we'll play a club next week for 50 people. Sure. You know, yeah. and that's still, unfortunately, the way most bands are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the, the, the larger audience, no matter how much you shout 
into the stratosphere just does not know what you're doing. Right. You know? It's really hard. You know? I mean, it is really and hard. You're doing this now solo. Right. And it does it, I mean, does it almost feel like when you started doing it that you had to start over in some way? From the oh, beginning? I'm still starting over. Yeah. I mean, yeah. A hundred, I mean, it's, it's funny because it's been so gradual. I mean, I've never had like a really long like tour cycle or anything on my own. Yeah. But I've, but I've always gone and done, you know, side bands and side yeah. projects and gone out and done. And, you know, it's like, fuck, man, sometimes you're playing to 15 people in, yeah. on a Tuesday night somewhere. And it's and it's and that doesn't really feel good, you know? Like, Especially when, you, when, when you're a thousand miles away from home and that's when you get into those questions like, well, why the fuck am I here? Yeah. You know what I mean? Why, why is this more important in this moment to me than being home with my kids? And, and the reality is it isn't, you yeah. know what I mean? But it's... It, and that's, I think, when it gets hard because there still is this big part inside of me that wants to write songs and wants to put my music out and 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 do that and and enjoy it. But um, it, it is like you know, it's it's tough in those moments to remember what the what the upside of it is. But it, but there is an upside, you know what I mean. And the upside is like you know. You're scratching some itch inside yeah. you that needs that needs to be scratched. Well, you're telling your story, right? You know, yeah. Because you know, as as fun as the Foo Fighters is, you're a piece of the machine, right? Right. I'm effectively you know? a side man. Yeah. In 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 and that and that's which is what I've mostly so it's been sort of in Dave's world. Sure. And yeah. and and for what I've mostly that's what I've mostly been all my life in band. I was always in bands where I was the guitar player and there was some other Which person. is less pressure sometimes. A million percent yeah. less yeah. pressure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it is so much harder I, and, and, and it gives me a lot of respect for Dave or any of the front men that I've worked with over the years. Like, when you get up, just even just like, just basic stuff, like talking between songs, all that yeah. stuff, you know, like the way when you see somebody that can really like, like command a crowd, that's like a, that's a real skill. You know, a skill that I don't necessarily fucking have, but yeah. but I enjoy going out and doing it. But but I think beyond that stuff, I think that the real payoff is what it does for you as a musician, because I think that when you're especially when you're in a band for a really long time and you're doing a, one kind of thing for a really long time, it's really good to get out and play with other people and play music that's a little bit different. And than what you normally do, and, and and in a different dynamic, you know. I mean, it's it's asking different things of your mm -hmm. of your mind and soul and everything, you know. And and so, for me, when I go back into a Foo Fighter rehearsal or a Foo Fighter gig or whatever, I'm like sort of refreshed in a way that I wouldn't be yeah. if I was just home sitting on my couch, you know what I mean? Right. But it is hard. It's hard. Like I've got kids. Like I I want to be home with my kids. I don't like missing birthdays and missing you know school stuff and and games and all that stuff like I hate being away for, for for all that stuff so it's that that's that constant thing that you're like trying to balance in your life of like what's too much here and mm. it, that line gets blurry sometimes yeah I mean uh, another track from your upcoming record uh, welcome to your first heartache yeah. um, which was you know again sort of going back to the the concept maybe that you're talking to yourself as a young person yeah. or uh, someone who's about to go out and experience certain life milestones for the first time yeah. you know saying like you know it's it's part of growing up is like yeah. being slapped down to earth yeah you know yeah and, and that's mean, like the thing that sort of you don't talk about when people uh have nostalgia for their youth they're like yeah you know we were having fun bob's like a lot of being young sucks right you know it's right. like being in this position where nobody cares and 
you think that your first breakup is the end of the world. Right. You know, in the song, yeah. you know, that line, you know, it's like, she's not the only girl. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? It's like, but you didn't know that when you were young, you know? No, and, you know, you, you're, especially, you know, when you're, when you're first going through all that stuff. I mean, I wrote that song about my, my son had his first girlfriend. Mm. Um, and, and it was really, it was early in that, and yeah. he hadn't had his heart broken yeah. yet or anything. And right. I was just sort of assuming that that was going to, that that was coming, yeah. you know? And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, that was sort of the, the idea behind it. And really, like, projecting my own experience onto him in, in, in reality. What'd you, know? you tell him? Oh, he did not want to listen to me. Are you kidding? <laughs> I, I offered up all kinds of advice, and he would just get up and walk out of the room. <laughs> and he took none of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Has he heard the song? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he roll his eyes? <laughs> He did. Yeah. <laughs> he did. Yeah. I mean, dad. the last person you want to take dating advice from is your fucking dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Until maybe he's a little older. And then we go, hmm, maybe dad was right. I'm trying to think if my dad ever gave me any dating advice. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. think it ever came up. I don't think it ever came up either. You know who I got dating advice from was like my friends and my brother. Yeah. You know? I my, mean, my brother Scott, my who's not my oldest brother, but my middle brother, was the one that that I, like, I never had the birds and bees talk with my parents. It was yeah. My brother Scott like explained all that shit, you know? Do you remember the first girl who broke your heart? Uh, absolutely, yeah. You don't have to use last names, it's fine. <laughs> uh, well, that, the funny thing is, is my wife is, uh, we went to junior high and high school together. Oh, wow. And never came anywhere near dating oh, or really? anything. But, um... But we were, you know, at the same keg parties and, you know, at the same school yeah. for, for all through those adolescent years, you know. Huh. So it's, it's funny because we have so many shared reference points. Yeah. You know, like literally like the same gig at the Red Barn or so whatever. So she knows the girl who broke your heart. She does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just Santa Barbara's not that big of a town. Everybody eventually dated everybody else. This, uh, when I moved out here... Um, with this girl from Michigan, uh, she eventually was like living a double life mm. and was with this other dude and me at the same time and oh, was no. fooling both of us. Right. And she decided to tell me at my workplace at oh. the time. I was at a production company working advertising. Cruel. She calls me up. I meet her in the like hamburger stand parking lot across the street. And then she literally told me there and was like, okay, go back to work. See, now, personally, I would just rather not be told. I think in retrospect, I, yeah. I definitely agree. I mean, I, yeah, I, could, I would rather just be told, hey, I'm not into you anymore. I don't need to hear, I've been having this double life, and the whole time you thought we were together, I was actually with this other dude, too. Like, I, it was, I don't it know, was that's just It was amazing how she pulled it off. Yeah. But also just, like, that setting of, like, watching people, like, flip burgers in the parking lot. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Yeah. You know? Just fucked up fast food for the rest of your life. I still go to that place. It's great. Oh, thank Big well, Joe's right on uh, 20th and... <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite guilty pleasure food on the road? Oh, God. Yeah. I've just been... I was just in New Orleans the other day and uh, had a fucking crazy meal that was so good. Um, what was it called? Parkway. I think that's the name of the place. But I got a, a roast beef poor boy... Some uh, sweet potato fries, coleslaw, mm. and fucking fried pickles, and a root beer, nice. and that fucking knocked I mean, me. Was it an Abida Abida root beer? 
Uh, and like New Orleans Beer Company. They no, make such it was, good root beer. I think it was like, it was one of those other ones. It's like yeah. a classic name. And then I went over and got some gelato and a uh, double shot of espresso. And I was like... It's a full, it's a that, full meal right Yeah, there. that was it. I was kind of on my back for a while. What about in Europe? Europe. What's, what would be a guilty pleasure over there? Well, you did the UK, right? I did the UK and then I did Scandinavia. Um, I did three shows up there. Um, yeah, I, you know, on that tour, that was like, you know, that was like a van tour. And it was, it was almost like, a lot of it was like flying every day on yeah. shitty airlines. So, you know, you're eating a lot of shitty airport food. Right. Yeah. Oh, I know what I had over there that was my favorite shit. It was, was, it was the last show. We played this cool little club in, in, uh, in Stockholm. And they made me a little to-go plate. Um, of uh, Swedish meatballs and lingonberries mm. and mashed potatoes. That is, if that might be my my absolute favorite meal over there. Period. But that was particularly good that night. Yeah, I mean, it, when you're flying every day, which you have to do sometimes, it's yeah. like that is like roulette with like your instruments not getting lost somewhere. Right? Totally. And they actually the, that was kind of the joke is we flew home by way of London after that Stockholm show. And it had been, it was a really good tour, but it was rough. And we're using like, you know, rental gear and all yeah. the different places. And that's, a, that's talk about roulette. That's like always a crapshoot with the rental gear. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. And, and that can be kind of tough. But, um, but we got back to LAX and they had, uh, none of our guitars made it home. So my guitars went to New York and eventually came back. But, uh, yeah. But you, uh, you have a podcast that's been on for, what, five years? Six Something years? Something like that, yeah, since 2013. Um, I've been doing it. Yeah, I've managed to get a lot of really good guests over the years. You know, it's some called really Walk the Floor? Walking the Floor. Walking the Floor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Available everywhere you stream your podcast. I've been, I was digging your uh, the interview with Parker Millsap. He's oh, yeah. one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, he's great. Fantastic. He was super cool. We played with him in Stockholm. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. cool. It is funny how, like... You know, world travelers we are forced to be at times yeah. in this little world. But that was he like, I'm from the Dust Bowl, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm from actual Dust Bowl, yeah. Oklahoma. But like, the bands that you like most respect or have always wanted to see, yeah. you almost see them only in the most random places. Right. You know, like right, I've never right. seen him or really been on a festival with with Parker in the states ever. Right, but like for some right. reason in. Denmark and in Sweden is when we linked up. You know what is a fantastic place for that is Japan. Because Japanese... I really want to go. Japanese festivals uh, tend to be way more diverse yeah. than... Canadian anywhere. ones, too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. The Canadian well, festivals that's, are That's crazy. where you'll have, like, you know, you'll be, like, in some communal backstage space yeah. with, like, Wilco and, yeah. you know, fucking... I don't know, like uh, Tyler the Creator, like you know yeah. what I mean, like like, and then us, and it'll be a bunch. It's just like everybody's like sort of like a different genre. Yeah. Whatever, what was the most know? unexpected backstage hang that you can remember? Oh God, um, I mean, there's been quite a few over the years. I, one of the best ones ever was uh, we were on uh, the Letterman Show one time years ago, and Robin Williams was was one mm -hmm. of the other guests, and. The backstage little rooms upstairs yeah. were really small at Letterman, and uh, and Robin Williams just like burst into our dressing room mm. and just put on a show. 
mm. for our entertainment for like you know he just came in and just blew the room up for 10 minutes yeah. and then and that was, it was just like what the fuck yeah that was fucking Robin Williams yeah and he was very Robin Williams yeah when you envision yourself as a young man playing rock and roll guitar to your girlfriend and your mom in that club and then playing arenas right now with Foo Fighters and then playing clubs with your band right now. Yeah. Like, what was that moment where you first realized that you had actually achieved some part of the dream? You know, was there like a certain place, certain venue, certain moment? I mean, I, I would probably of, of all, all the various moments, I mean, there's been... You know, there's been a lot of kind of memorable moments, like where you hit a new transition or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's certainly when I got the gig in the Foo Fighters was yeah. like for me, like all that was like the dream being yeah. realized. You know, in a lot of ways. I mean, they were like my favorite band at that moment in time, and mm. um, you know, a, a big band, and you know, made records and did like did it for real. Yeah. You know, in a way that I'd, I that I had no understanding of but right. desperately wanted to you know but I, in all honesty there has never been a time where I felt like I've made it mm. and I'm there and I'm gonna stay there mm. and it's this is it forever now you know what I mean I just yeah. my mind doesn't go there mm-hmm. I can't let myself go there you know what I mean I just I, I, I don't want to even go there <laughs> you know what I mean well because it can always end well it can always end absolutely I mean the whole thing could end tomorrow what does the sound like on stage at like Madison Square Garden? The sound for us is always fantastic because we have our monitor guy yeah. who makes it sound pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. And we bring our gear to all these. You know, we bring production to all He's stuff. using so in-ears? I don't use in-ears, no. Yeah. Um, I think maybe our bass player does, but, um, but I think he's the only one. But no, I don't use in-ears. I don't really like them. I hate him as yeah, well, but I, that's a lot of noise coming out on your shows. Yeah, you know, I'm, it's I've tried every different way over the years. I've tried having everything so fucking loud through yeah. my wedges. I mean, I guess it's still pretty loud. I wear earplugs. Yeah, it's got to be loud. You got to at least get yourself loud enough to be able to hear yourself. And and everybody's really loud on our stage, and it's so it's you know it's just going to be loud. There's, <laughs> there's no way around it. Yeah. You know. And really, at the end of the day, rock and roll should be. So I think it's it makes I mean, sense. The, tell me about this song, uh, "This Old World," you know, because that that has definitely some political sure. uh, bent to it, but also kind of I like the part about telling ourselves sort of these lies to get us right. through the day. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I think it's it's you know I'm I'm a pretty political person, and I'm way to the left of most people, and um, and I think that that song I. I've tried. I've struggled to write sort of political songs before, and I'm not good at it. And I and it's it's some people are able to do that very well. I'm like I'm not one of them because they always get too fucking preachy and too finger pointy, and and who the fuck wants to listen to that? You know. Yeah. So I I really tried to make this as vague as I could because I wanted people from different mindsets to maybe recognize a little bit of themselves in that. Mm. But really, what I'm singing about in that song. You know, I live here. Mm-hmm. I live in in uh, wealthy liberal uh, Democrat land, <laughs> and it's since Trump was elected, you know, the liberals have lost their minds. Mm. They don't know how. They cannot understand. They yeah. refuse to understand. And I say this from a, a 
way to the left perspective. Right. Uh, but they refuse to understand sort of why we're at this moment in history and what mm. Trump, not just why Trump was elected, but what Trumpism is really about. And in, how they're partially opinion. at fault. I mean, it's like, you know, half it's like you I would lost say, I would say half at fault, and not just yeah. that they lost, yeah. but that the policies of the Democratic Party have very much contributed to, to why there's so much appeal for this sort of rejection of mm. consensus wisdom mm -hmm. in the world. I mean, it's you, if you're a Democrat and you can't understand why you know, Obama bailing out banks and not, you know, really re-regulating Wall Street and Clinton, you know, passing NAFTA and, and, and deregulating Wall Street. All this. If you, if you can't understand how all those things mm. contribute mm -hmm. to where we're at right now, then you're just not being honest with yourself. It's mm -hmm. just not realistic. There's, and it, it's a funny thing. So many people that we are surrounded by who are like very well-educated, very smart, successful people have these blinders up where mm -hmm. they can recognize the delusional aspects of the other side mm -hmm. and its belief systems, yeah. but they can't recognize their own. And mm -hmm. the fact that the New York Times and the Washington Post and MSNBC and the DNC and all the rest of them are also spinning propaganda and lying to you and have an agenda. And it's, I just, I don't get it. It's, well, it, it's so obvious. Yeah. Well, There's a lot of like wish fulfillment going yes. on where it's just yeah. like we want to sort of comfort ourselves like well we did everything we could and right. we you know we we're doing all saying all the right things and right. thinking all the right things and right. and it's like there has to be something that we can agree on in the middle right. and if you just say it's my way or the highway you're just as bad well, as if, the side if, that you're if against. If you just laugh off the concerns of of millions of people in this country and you laugh off the very real fact that um, even people who you disagree with are victims of neoliberal policy um, that your side is responsible for, right. then you're then you you know you're blowing it. You you need to be honest with yourself. You know we yeah. all do. You know the question is like how do we become aware and, and be active, but also still love our country, you know? Well, I think, I think a big question that, that raises for me is sort of what is our country? Mm. What, you know, how do we define that? Yeah. Is it like our political leaders and their policy choices? Right. Is it, you know, is it the, the or is it the, the masses? You know, mm -hmm. for me, it's the masses, mm. you know? Well, this country is so big. Then and we get a unique view of it as touring musicians. You know, well, it, it's a, it feels it's a like huge, totally different place. Massive landmass. Yeah. And and when and you know even though like you know it's I think with modern technology a lot of sort of cultural uh, differences have been have been erased in a lot of ways that there should be cultural differences between right. somebody a thousand miles away from us. Right. You know what I mean? There's that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it's yeah. I think we assume that we're all in it together, right. and we're all like, well, we're all Americans, right. so we're the same. Well, but if, we're you, not. if you want a really unpopular uh, uh, idea, suggest to anybody if you're having a debate about this stuff that maybe we should be like ten different countries. Yeah. <laughs> that that goes nowhere fast. Believe you me, I've tried yeah. it. <laughs> but at the same point, there is a kind of beautiful sort of hope that like you can somehow unite enough people within this large, diverse landmass right. that, like, it is an amazing thing that we've pulled off, you know? Well, if you read if you read the, the latest Chris Hedges book, he talks a lot about, there's a whole chapter in there, maybe a couple of chapters where he's talking about 
being out in Indiana, in mm -hmm. um, I don't remember what the town was, but it was a town that used to be, you know, have a some a bunch of auto manufacturing yeah. industry there, and that's all gone, you yeah. know. And and when that got deindustrialized, the town crumbled, and now it's like you know, uh, um, opioid ep epidemics, right. and people are out of work and and hopeless, and and all these out of work uh, United Auto Workers guys who supported Bernie Sanders in the primary mm -hmm. uh, when, when he didn't win, they all turned and voted for Trump. Right. And to me, that suggests that there is, you know, there, there's this common ground out there that, that people aren't, that people want to pretend doesn't exist, mm -hmm. you know, but you can reach a lot of these people who, you know, a lot of our neighbors here want to write off as, as deplorables. Mm -hmm. But really, like, at the end of the day, you got to give some red meat to the people, mm -hmm. you know? People have to have a good job and mm. a decent school to send their kids to and somewhere a nice place to live like it's just yeah. the basics you yeah. know what i mean that we're not providing the basics for like a lot of people here yeah. nowadays who's the and, uh, uh, your listeners are all going to comment or not all but uh you know when i anytime we talk about i talk about this kind of shit out loud i get like you know a lot of responses like fuck you and your mansion in malibu <laughs> how dare you have an opinion on this shit yeah but you know no people get real fucking uncomfortable talking about class issues and we 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 need to talk about them more. The uh, the song on the new record, the one that you go home to. Who's singing that with you? Oh, that's Elizabeth Cook. Yeah, I thought that was. Yeah, so I had interviewed her for my podcast, and um, and I'm just a fan of hers, and I and I love her voice, and and I always wanted to do like a like an old school style duet. Yeah, you know, and I just asked her, you know, yeah. hey, would you want to? Do a duet with me, and so when I get, went out there to make the record, we, we got together, me and her and my friend Aaron, and, and we wrote that song. And, and uh, when you f see yourself ten years from now, let's say, do you still see yourself in the Foo Fighter orbit, or do you f think that there's a way for your solo thing to supplant everything else? I mean, I hope that the Foo Fighters is still going strong. You know, yeah. I. I um, no reason to think that it won't be. I mean, I, I it's, it would be foolish to think that my solo career is ever going to... My hopes I and mean, dreams for my solo stuff are so much smaller than that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I just want to be able... At this point, I just want to be able to sell out like a bar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like consistently, you know? And uh, and if that ever happens, you know, maybe we'll try to like sell out a big club, you know, something, and, and, and go from there. But um, but yeah, I, I, I would love my solo thing to be self-sufficient mm. at, at, at least yeah that would be great you know i'd love to just be able to make records and tour when 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 i can and 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 get out there and play you know sort of when it works out but uh but uh i, I don't see that ever becoming a full-time thing what know? is the rowdiest bar you've played recently oh god um some of those gigs in in the uk were so rowdy mm. scotland was rowdy both of them up there manchester Dublin and like it was those those were rowdy shows. Mm. Yeah, people were were revved up. What is the thing that for a band that would dream of of playing larger places like the Foos, like what is the 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 one thing that is the coolest thing about that level? Craft services. That's definitely good. I mean, that is a funny thing, and I've I've talked about this before. It seems like everywhere we go, at all times, there's food. Yeah, that's compared to a yeah. van tour, yeah. it's wonderful. Like yeah. you, you never go hungry yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
I mean, you know, it is one of the things that always is brought into perspective when I go out and do a lot of my own touring, um, that in Foo Fighter land, we have such a fucking great crew. Yeah. And How they, big is that crew? That's fucking gigantic. It's gigantic. But, you know, but uh, a lot of the, the guys on the crew and gals have been with us for a long time. And um, they're all really good at what they do. And they just, they make it very comfortable. I walk out on stage, my guitar always sounds great. It's always yeah. in tune. Yeah. My amp is always works just set just how I want it, you yeah. know, and um, all that shit, you know, it always just, the monitors are always great. Everything is just, it, it's a luxury, but it's, yeah. it's, it's a great luxury. Yeah. You know, I mean, that is, it always amazes me when you, you see a, you know, a crew of what, I mean, it's close to a hundred people, maybe or 50 people. I mean, or, when, when we're yeah. in cycle and we're on tour yeah. and you have like, you're dragging production all over yeah. the world with you. There's guys that we never even meet because they go into the venue at yeah. seven in the morning and they're, hanging the rigging yeah. or whatever you know what I mean and and by the time we get there at five o'clock at night you don't they're asleep somewhere or whatever you know they're gone so they're it's it's the crew is that big and you're in a couple buses is there is there like or is it fly yeah it's both yeah yeah it depends you know on where we are what's a festival that people should go to that maybe they haven't heard of yet ooh that's a good question what festival should people? Because there's some crazy ones in Europe, especially that are just like, or in Japan, like the you're festival that. tour. The festival thing is is wild to me that that's caught on so much in America. Yeah. Now there's like too many festivals. Yeah. you know what I mean? Because it took a really long time. That's been a thing in Europe forever, yeah. you know. Um, and they do them really well over there for the most part. Um, uh, I can't think of a festival that people haven't heard of, but I tell you, we did Glastonbury mm. um, at the beginning of, of the last Foo Fighter tour cycle, and that was the first time I'd ever been there, and that was that was really cool, really magic. There's a festival in uh, Bergen, Norway, called Bergenfest mm. that's in like a medieval fort. Oh wow! Like on the water, and we're they... playing Bergen this summer. Oh nice! Well, I wonder if we're playing Bergenfest. Is it in June? It's coming. It'd be, it would be coming up. I think it is in June. Yeah, it's awesome. And the best food at any festival really? we've ever eaten. You know what the best food of any festival I've ever been to was uh, Jazz Fest down in New Orleans. Mm. And it wasn't like, um, they probably had good food for the bands or whatever too, but just the public like food court thing yeah. was gigantic and it's yeah. New Orleans, so it's like incredible. It's charbroiled oysters always for the win. Oh, really? <laughs> we had them in New Orleans like a couple months ago uh -huh. and I was just like, every time I come down here, I literally call up various places in LA on the road. I'm like, how do you not have this? Right. Can you please get this? You I just know? had some like New Orleans style poutine when I was down there. Oh, really? That was pretty good. Nice. All right. So I want to do a little creative exercise. Okay. So I was gifted a certain game, Cards Against Humanity. Ooh. And I haven't played it yet, but what we're going to do is we're going to go card by card. And the first thing that pops into your head when I say a fuck ton of almonds. First thing that popped in my head was almond milk. Because I make almond milk at home. Really? Yeah. God, you're such a West Sider. I know, it's like pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> my almond milk is fucking better than that store bought shit. What's I your won't secret? say that. I don't know. It's just it's very simple. 
Four parts water, one part almonds. You let the almonds soak overnight. You blend that shit up. Are you lactose intolerant? No, I just like the almond milk. It's good. All right. All right. First thing you think when I say throwing a virgin into a volcano. Game of Thrones. Did you watch last night? I did. Yeah. I don't even watch the show, and I had to watch last night with everyone else. Oh, shit. But if you don't watch the show, what, like you must have been like, what the fuck is going on? I was on? asking my wife some ignorant questions. Right, was she like, but... shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, that was hard, man. Game of Thrones finale. We played last night um, in Columbus, Ohio, and I literally did a runner I, off the stage into a waiting car back to the hotel and fired it up and watched it. Do you think it affected your crowd size? Um, no, crowd size seemed uh, pretty unaffected by it, but I don't know. We, yeah, we might have lost a few people. Telling a shitty story that goes nowhere. Fuck, my onstage banter. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's like every night. <laughs> uh, there's nothing worse than when you're like, you, you start talking about something and you get like way too deep into it and you're like, I'm not going fucking anywhere with this. Does and anyone you just find have a room full of people just going like, huh? Yeah, well, and then sometimes, uh, <laughs> if there is no, if the punchline doesn't get the reaction. Right. And then sometimes I'll be like, should I change the next song choice because of this? Right. Like, I was going to do a sad sort of ballad. I tell now you I what, feel like we need to make people like dance to forget about what I just said. I played the Grand Old Opry the other night, Friday night, oh, for nice. the first time ever. And it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. There's two shows. So yeah. there's like the 745 yeah. slot and then the 1045 slot. Right. So I do my 745 slot and I'm so nervous. And yeah. I go out there and I'm kind of crackling with energy. And it was fantastic. And it just was house band sounded great everything it was just great come on stage my wife hugged everybody yeah. manager high five me woo yeah. so great we go across the street to get some dinner and I eat like a big thing of of, of enchiladas right okay. and I'm like eat a ton of ch- I'm eating Mexican food boom yeah. and I'm just like gorge myself I'm starving been on like a very long travel day and then I go back to do my second set, and I like fucking. I was like asleep. Yeah, <laughs> I was good. Lots, I was, lots of uh, nice dairy uh, bubbling around. Yeah, I, I just I had like a, a belly full of enchiladas, and I get up there and I and I play the first song, and then I go to, to like tell a little intro story for the second song, and it was just like I was just stumbling over yeah. myself, yeah. And, and and as it was happening. I was sort of getting insecure about it. I'm looking out in the crowd, and there's just like old tourists staring back at me, just like, what the fuck is this guy running? And then I just cut it off and just went. All right, last one. Hit me. Poopy diapers. Well, as you know, I'm a dad. So I spent a lot of time. I I will tell you, having kids, if you have any issues with other people's bodily functions, you get over that shit real fast. Is it true that boys' diapers are worse than girls' diapers? I guess you wouldn't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. I never had yeah. a girl. Yeah. But um, the thing about uh, changing, you know, about changing your kid's diaper uh, mm. when you have a boy is, is you put him up on the changing yeah. table and you get them all cleaned up. And then he's got that yeah. little pistol aimed right at you. Hose. Boom. They let that loose. Which of your sons was the worst? I don't remember with that stuff, but I do remember a couple times, or one time in particular, my middle son uh, threw up all over me at the <laughs> farmer's market. <laughs> it was pretty great. So there I was down at the farmer's market with my uh, shirt off covered in puke. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, Hard Lessons, the new record coming out June yep. 14th, uh, Dave Cobb produced. Yep. Uh, Dream Team. I mean, yep. it's it's a great sounding record. Oh, thank you. Um, 
would you play a song? Absolutely. With a, a guitar. Yeah, let me go grab my guitar. I guess it'd be remiss of you if I didn't. It'd be remiss of me if I didn't ask what what guitar do you play most often? Um, I have uh, for like live stuff. I, I um I have a, a Fender signature model. Um, that's a Telecaster. It's like based off a Telecaster Deluxe. Mm -hmm. But I have a fancy one that they that they made for me that um, has noiseless P90s in it. Mm. Um, and it's like a master built custom shop one and it is freaking amazing. So I, it's, I play that and I have a, a, a 57. You, it originally was a gold top, mm. but somebody took the, the, uh, the gold off it. So now it's just a blonde Les Paul, but it's a 57. It's got the original pickups in it. And that thing has been leaning on that a lot lately too. Nice. But I, for live, like for, for my acoustic stuff, cause I do a lot of acoustic yeah. solo stuff. And I have a, a couple of Martins that I usually play. You have a, that's a sweet sounding Gibson. Yeah, I love this thing. This one stays at home? This one stays at home, yeah. I don't want to like... I know, my 50, 1950 Archtop Gibson never comes out unless like dire emergencies. Well, I don't want to like fuck with it and put a pickup in it. You yeah. Know? It's just a beautiful... I love this thing. It's country western. I love that someone is deciding to blast Whitney Houston really loud outside Perfect. Right now. Well, this is Whitney Houston singing harmony with me on this one. <laughs> What's this one called? I'm going to do Welcome to Your First Heartache. Shakes you like an earthquake Welcome to your 
There he goes, Mr. Chris Shiflett. You can go to chrisshifflettmusic.com for his uh, music and his upcoming shows. And uh, you can see him all over the world uh, playing with the Foo Fighters, of course. But actually, my group Dust Bowl Revival and the Foo Fighters will be in the same place uh, the weekend of September 20th at Bourbon and Beyond Festival in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I believe the Bluegrass Situation will be sponsoring our stage. So that's going to be really special. And uh, like I said, June 14th is when his record Hard Lessons comes out on 30 Tigers. And um, you know what? Chris actually has an amazing podcast called Walking the Floor. I listened to uh, a really cool episode with Parker Millsap, recently learned a lot, and uh, you can check that out where you find your podcasts. And uh, as always, please tell your friends about our humble podcast, write a review on iTunes. We will love you for it. The Show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupiton. See you on the trail.